0: Chapter 31 of Vera by Elizabeth von Arnhem. this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 31 she hadn't been into the library yet she knew the dining room the hall the staircase lucy's bedroom the spare room the antlers and the gong but she didn't know the library she had hoped to go away without knowing it however she was not to be permitted to the newly lit wood fire blazed cheerfully when they went in, but its amiable light was immediately quenched by the electric light Wemyss switched on at the door. From the middle of the ceiling it poured down so strongly that Miss Entwistle wished she had brought her sunshade. The blinds were drawn, and there in front of the window was the table where Everard sat writing. She remembered every word of Lucy's account of it, on that July afternoon of Vera's death It was now April, still well over three months to the first anniversary of that dreadful day. And here he was, married again, and to, of all people in the world, her Lucy. There were so many strong, robust-minded young women in the world, so many hardened widows, so many thick-skinned persons of mature years, wanting a comfortable home who wouldn't mind Everard, because they wouldn't love him and therefore wouldn't feel. Why should fate have ordered it, that it should just be her Lucy? No, she didn't like him, she couldn't like him. He might, and she hoped he was, be all Lucy said, be wonderful and wholesome and natural and all the rest of it. But if he didn't seem so to her, what, as far as she was concerned, was the good of it? The fact is that by the time Miss Entwistle got into the library she was very angry. Even the politest worm, she said to herself, the most conciliatory, sensible worm, fully conscious that wisdom points to patience, will nevertheless turn on its niece's husband, if trodden on too heavily. The way Wemyss had ordered her not to go up to Lucy, particularly enraging to Miss Entwistle, was the knowledge of her weak position, uninvited in his house. Wemyss, standing on the hearth-rug in front of the blaze, filled his pipe. How well she knew that attitude and that action! How often she had seen both in her drawing-room in London! And hadn't she been kind to him? Hadn't she always, when she was hostess and he was guest, been hospitable and courteous? No, she didn't like him. She sat down in one of the immense chairs, and had the disagreeable sensation that she was sitting down in Wemyss hollowed out. The two little red spots were brightly on her cheekbones, had been there, indeed, ever since the beginning of dinner. Wemyss filled his pipe with his customary deliberation, saying nothing. I believe he's enjoying himself, flashed into her mind, enjoying being in a temper and having me to bully. Well, she asked, suddenly unbearably irritated. Oh, it's no good taking that tone with me, he said, continuing carefully to fill his pipe. Really, Everard, she said, ashamed of him, and also ashamed of herself. She oughtn't to have let go her grip on herself, and said, well, with such obvious irritation. The coffee came. No, thank you said Miss Entwistle. He helped himself. The coffee went. "'Perhaps,' said Miss Entwistle, in a very polite voice, when the door had been shut by Chesterton, "'you'll tell me what it is you wish to say.' "'Certainly. One thing is that I've ordered a cab to come round for you tomorrow in time for the early train.' "'Oh, thank you, Everett. That is most thoughtful,' said Miss Entwistle. I had already told Lucy when she said you would be down tomorrow that I would go home early. That's one thing, said Wemyss, taking no notice of this and going on carefully filling his pipe. The other is that I don't wish you to see Lucy again either tonight or before you go. She looked at him in astonishment. But why not? she asked. I'm not going to have her upset. But my dear Everard don't you see it will upset her much more if i don't say good-bye to her it won't upset her at all if i do because she knows i'm going to-morrow anyhow why what will the child think oblige me by allowing me to be best judge of my own affairs do you know i doubt very much if you're that said miss entwhistle earnestly really moved by his inability to perceive consequences here he had got everything everything to make him happy for the rest of his life, the wife he loved adoring him, believing in him, blotting out, by her mere marrying him, every doubt as to the exact manner of Vera's death. And all he had to do was to be kind and ordinarily decent. And poor Everard! It was absurd of her to mind for him. But she did in fact at that moment mind for him. He seemed such a pathetic human being blindly bent on ruining his own happiness, would spoil it all, inevitably smash it all sooner or later, if he wasn't able to see, wasn't able to understand. Wemyss considered her remarks so impertinent that he felt he would have been amply justified in requesting her to leave his house then and there, dark or no dark, train or no train. And so he would have done if he hadn't happened to prefer a long rather than a short scene. "'I didn't ask you into my library to hear your opinion of my character,' he said, lighting his pipe. "'Well, then,' said Miss Entwistle, for there was too much at stake for her to allow herself either to be silenced or goaded. Let me tell you a few things about Lucy's.' "'About Lucy's?' echoed Wemyss, amazed at such effrontery. "'About my wife's,' "'Yes,' said Miss Entwistle, very earnestly. "'It's the sort of character that takes things to heart, and she'll be miserable, miserable, Everard, and worry and worry if I just disappear as you wish me to without a word. Of course I'll go, and I promise I'll never come again unless you ask me to. But don't, because you're angry, insist on something that will make Lucy extraordinarily unhappy. Let me say good-night to her now, and good-bye tomorrow morning.' I tell you she'll be terribly worried if I don't. She'll think," Miss Entwistle tried to smile, "'that you've turned me out. And then, you see, if she thinks that, she won't be able—' Miss Entwistle hesitated. "'Well, she won't be able to be proud of you. And that, my dear Everard—' She looked at him with a faint smile of deprecation, and apology that she, a spinster, should talk of this, gives love its deepest wound.' Wemyss stared at her, too much amazed to speak. In his house, in his own house. I'm sorry, she said, still more earnestly, if this annoys you, but I do want, I really do think it is very important. There was then a silence during which they looked at each other, he at her in amazement, she at him trying to hope, hope that he would take what she said in good part. It was so vital that he should understand that he should get an idea of the effect on lucy of just that sort of unkind even cruel behaviour his own happiness was involved as well tragic tragic for every one if he couldn't be got to see are you aware he said that this is my house oh everard she said at that with a movement of despair are you aware he continued that you were talking to a husband of his wife. Miss Entwistle said nothing, but leaning her head on her hand, looked at the fire. Are you aware that you thrust yourself into my house uninvited, directly my back was turned, and have been living in it, and would have gone on indefinitely living in it, without any sanction from me unless I had come down, as I did come down, on purpose to put an end to such an outrageous state of affairs?' "'Of course,' she said. "'That is one way of describing it.' "'It is the way of every reasonable and decent person,' said Wemyss. "'Oh, no,' said Miss Entwhistle. "'That is precisely what it isn't.' "'But,' she added, getting up from the chair and holding out her hand, "'it is your way, and so I think, Everard, I'll say good-night, "'and good-bye, too, for I don't expect I'll see you in the morning.' "'One would suppose,' he said." taking no notice of her proffered hand, for he hadn't nearly done, from your tone that this was your house and I was your servant. I assure you I could never imagine it to be my house or you my servant. You made a great mistake, I can tell you, when you started interfering between husband and wife. You have only yourself to thank if I don't allow you to continue to see Lucy. She stared at him. "'Do you mean,' she said, after a silence, that you intend to prevent my seeing her later on, too, in London? That exactly is my intention." Miss Entwistle stared at him, lost in thought. But he could see he had got her this time, for her face had gone visibly pale. "'In that case, Everard,' she said presently, "'I think it my duty. Don't begin about duties. You have no duties in regard to me and my household.' I think it is my duty to tell you that, from my knowledge of Lucy, your knowledge of Lucy, what is it compared to mine I should like to know? Please listen to me. It's most important. From my knowledge of her I'm quite sure she hasn't the staying power of Vera." It was now his turn to stare. She was facing him very pale, with shining, intrepid eyes. He had got her in her vulnerable spot he could see or she wouldn't be so white. But she was going to do her utmost to annoy him up to the last. The staying power of—I'm sure of it, and you must be wise. You must positively have the wisdom to take care of your own happiness. Oh, good God, you preaching woman! he burst out. How dare you stand there in my own house talking to me of Vera? Hush, said Miss Entwistle her eyes shining brighter and brighter in her white face. Listen to me. It's atrocious that I should have to, but nobody ever seems to have told you a single thing in your life. You don't seem to know anything at all about women, anything at all about human beings. How could you bring a girl like Lucy, any young wife, to this house? But here she is, and it still may be all right because she loves you, if you take care, if you are tender and kind. I assure you it is nothing to me how angry you are with me, or how completely you separate me from Lucy, if only you are kind to her. Don't you realize, Everard, that she may soon begin to have a baby, and that then she, you indelicate woman, you incredibly indecent improper! I don't in the least mind what you say to me, but I tell you that unless you take care, unless you're kinder than your being at this moment, it won't be anything like fifteen years this time." he repeated, staring, Fifteen years this time? Yes, good-bye.' And she was gone, and had shut the door behind her before her monstrous meaning dawned on him. Then, when it did, he strode out of the room after her. She was going up the stairs very slowly. "'Come down,' he said. She went on as if she hadn't heard him. "'Come down. If you don't come down at once, I'll fetch you.' This, through all her wretchedness, through all her horror, for beating in her ears were two words over and over again, Lucy, Vera, Lucy, Vera, struck her as so absurd, the vision of herself more naturally nimble, going on up the stairs just out of Wemyss's reach, with him heavily pursuing her, till among the attics at the top he couldn't but run her to earth in a cistern that she had great difficulty in not spilling over into a ridiculous, hysterical laugh. "'Very well, then,' she said, stopping and speaking in a low voice, so that Lucy shouldn't be disturbed by unusual sounds. "'I'll come down.' And shining, quivering with indomitableness, she did. She arrived at the bottom of the stairs, where he was standing, and faced him. "'What was he going to do? Take her by the shoulders and turn her out?' Not a sign, not the smallest sign of distress or fear, should he get out of her. Fear of him in relation to herself was the last thing she would condescend to feel, but fear for Lucy, for Lucy. She could very easily have cried out because of Lucy, entreated to be allowed to see her sometimes, humbled herself if she hadn't gripped hold of the conviction of his delight if she broke down. At his delight at having broken her down, at refusing. The thought froze her serene. "'You will now leave my house,' said Wemyss through his teeth. "'Without my hat, Everard?' she inquired mildly. He didn't answer. He would gladly at that moment have killed her, for he thought he saw she was laughing at him. Not openly. Her face was serious, and her voice polite. But he thought he saw she was laughing at him, and beyond anything that could happen to him he hated being defied. He walked to the front door, reached up and undid the top bolt, stooped down and undid the bottom bolt, turned the key, took the chain off, pulled the door open, and said, There now, go, and let this be a lesson to you. I am glad to see, said Miss Entwistle, going out onto the steps with dignity and surveying the stars with detachment that it is a fine night, he shut and bolted and locked and chained her out and As soon as he had done, and she heard his footsteps going away, and her eyes were a little accustomed to the darkness, she went round to the back entrance, rang the bell, and asked the astonished Tweenie, who presently appeared to send Lizzie to her and When Lizzie came also astonished. She asked her to be so kind as to go up to her room, and put her things in her bag, and bring her her hat and cloak and purse. "'I'll wait here in the garden,' said Miss Entwistle. "'And it would be most kind, Lizzie, if you were rather quick.' Then, when she had got her belongings, and Lizzie had put her cloak round her shoulders, and tried to express, by smoothings and brushings of it, her understanding and sympathy, for it was clear to Lizzie and to all the servants that Miss Entwhistle was being turned out. She went away. She went away past the silent house, through the white gate, up through the darkness of the sunken oozy lane, out on to the road where the stars gave light, across the bridge, into the village, along the road to the station, to wait for whatever train should come. She walked slower and slower she was extraordinarily tired. End of chapter 31